soon. All right, why don't we open up our Bibles? I want to continue on in the book of Ruth. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, uh, you know that um, Peter's been taking us through his favorite book of the Bible, the book of Ruth. And we're on chapter 3. And so let's turn to the book of Ruth, chapter 3, verses 11 to 13. Um, it's in the Old Testament. You want to keep it open uh, throughout the sermon today. Uh, so it's Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Um, and if you go on to 1 Samuel, you go on to Far. There you are. Ruth, chapter 3, verses 11 to 13. And if you don't have a Bible, by the way, we've got some free Bibles at the back near the offering box. Uh, these are for you. They're free. Please take one. Um, you can just grab one right now or on the way out. Ruth, chapter 3, verses 11 to 13. Uh, let me read for us. Verse 11. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Amen. This is the word of God. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Paul. Let me just get myself ready. All right. Hey, everyone. How are you doing? Good to see you all. Uh, again, if you're f here for the first time, welcome to our church. If you're here for the first time in a long time, welcome back. Good to see you. Uh, I hope you guys are all doing well in this hot weather. Today's not too bad. Yesterday was crazy hot. Um, if you don't know who I am, my name is Peter. And I have the joy and privilege of uh, preaching to you guys today. Now, we, I've been, we've been spending some time over the last few weeks looking at the book of Ruth. And I've been, I've been taking us through this story um, whilst plucking out some interesting thoughts and applications that we can draw from this story as we go. And that's kind of what I'm going to be doing again today. But I hope that it does not get lost in the story that at the end of the day, uh, this story is about God's faithfulness. That's the overarching story and the theme of this book. We see that in the life of Ruth and Naomi, his faithfulness. And, and my hope is that we would see this uh, to be true in our lives as well. This story, this book is actually designed to be read in one sitting. It's actually not designed to be uh, broken up into four sections. Uh, and so there's only really one meaning to this story, which is that God is faithful. But I think it's a lot more fun when we break it up and try and pluck out things and find some things in there. So that's what we'll be doing together today. I'm going to do a quick recap if you haven't been with us. So the first chapter of Ruth marked a season of suffering for Ruth and Naomi uh, as they lost their, lost their husbands. They left their home and they were left without any hope for a future. Uh, but we were reminded that there is always hope that can be found in God. He never leaves us without hope. He's a kind God. And we saw this because even the very last verse of the first chapter, the chapter of suffering, we saw that Naomi was standing next to Ruth, who God would use to restore this family. And they arrived in Bethlehem at the time when the barley harvest was beginning, which would become the perfect setting that God would use to bring restoration to this family. So even though they didn't know it, they were just suffering, God had not left them uh, without hope. The second chapter was full of surprises. Uh, Ruth went out to glean because it was the harvest season. And she happened to find herself on Boaz's field. And Boaz happened to be there that day too. 
And because of Ruth's character and commitment to God and Naomi, Boaz is moved and he rewards her with abundant kindness. And we were reminded that even though sometimes we don't know what God's doing in our lives or what God has planned in our lives, he knows. He knows what he's doing. And he has a great plan for us so we can trust in him. And we see this at the end of the chapter as Ruth finally reveals whose field she worked on, Boaz. And as Naomi reveals who Boaz is to them, the kinsman redeemer, a relative of Elimelech, that he can marry and restore Ruth's family and Naomi's future. And with that, hope was restored in this story. This otherwise gloomy story, in that last verse, this kind of hope was restored. Hope that God always knew about, that God always planned for them, even though they didn't know it yet. And today we find ourselves in chapter 3, and we're going to see a promise that is made. A promise that is made. With hope sparked back into our story, what we will see today is that not only is there hope for Ruth, but there is something even greater, a promise that she gets to hold on to as well, in which she can find security, comfort, rest. And again, I hope and pray that we would find uh, that we have a promise as well in the Lord that we can find comfort in, that we can find rest in together. Why don't we pray and we'll jump into this text together. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the hope that we know we have in you, for you are a faithful father, a kind king, and a good God. Lord, won't you help us to trust in you, not only because we're Christians and that's the right thing to do, but because we genuinely believe and trust that you are the most trustworthy and faithful Remind us of the incredible promise that we have in you revealed to us through your word. And I pray that the story of Ruth again will remind us how committed you are to your people, to us today. So much so that you would even send your son to die for us. Move and speak to our hearts today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to just jump right into the text today. Last week, we left off with a picture of Ruth and Naomi celebrating because uh, God had restored hope in their lives, right? How? Through a man named Boaz. Uh, You see, without husbands, Ruth and Naomi uh, were left without food, and they were left without family. And then in chapter 2, we see through Boaz's kindness that their need for food is addressed. As Ruth gets to eat to satisfaction and there's leftover, and as she gets to glean in the fields of Boaz and she gets to take home, you know, more than 22 liters of barley, which is amazing. But the even greater news we learned in the last few verses of chapter 2 was that not only was Boaz able to provide them food, but Boaz was actually a relative, which means he could legally marry Ruth and redeem her and address their need for family as well, which is a much greater need. And isn't God great like that? He could have just provided the family, which is what they really needed, but he also provides food. And I think this for me shows me again how who God is, he's, that he's, God is a God who addresses the big things in, in our lives, but also the, the everyday things, our daily bread. He's involved and he's working in all spheres of our lives. He cares and he's faithful like that. That's our God. Anyways, so we, we've just found out this great news, right? And as chapter 3 opens, and it'll help if you have the Bibles open and you follow along with me, as chapter 3 opens, we see a vast difference in Naomi's attitude 
from the last chapter to this one. And here's my first point for today as we continue to draw some lessons from this story, and it's this. Sometimes we do not act because we do not really believe. Sometimes we do not act because we do not really believe. If we look back to the beginning of the second chapter, when Naomi was in her bitterness and sadness, whilst Ruth, you know, went out to glean, what we saw was that Naomi chose just to stay home. And we said that that's just that's the best that she could do. She was sad. She was bitter. So the best that she could do was just stay home and let Ruth go. She was otherwise inactive. But now, now that she has experienced a taste of the faithfulness of God in her life again, we see a completely changed Naomi. Let me read verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? So Naomi's like, hey, I'm your mother-in-law. It's up to me to make sure you get rest. And the word rest here comes with connotations of peace, joy, and happiness. She's saying, I'm going to make sure you're okay. Now, do you see the difference in her attitude and her confidence? If you look back in chapter 1, verse 12, this is what Naomi says. Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back. From a place of uncertainty, I can't provide for you, to now a place of proactive confidence. Hey, I'm going to make sure you're okay. And the question is, well, what's changed? What happened in between? Well, here it is, chapter 2, verse 20. Chapter 2, verse 20. Naomi says, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. When Naomi was reminded through Boaz of God's kindness, his faithfulness, his good plans for her life, her attitude was completely transformed. Why? Because she was reminded that she is not alone, and she was reminded that she has a great God in her life who is working, who's actually working. And so what do we see her do in chapter 3? She takes initiative, and she starts to act on this trust that she's, that's been restored in her heart. Let's read verse 2 to 4. Is not Boaz our relative, she says, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Naomi recognizes that Boaz is the hope that God has sent for Ruth and Naomi. And now she, we see her, as opposed to chapter 2 where she's kind of inactive and not sure what to do. We see her here in chapter 3 devising this great plan to go and see this hope come to fruition. We see her in action. She tells her, hey, they're, they're winnowing barley tonight. Winnowing barley was at the end of the harvest season, the, uh, they'll take all their grain, uh, their, their wheat, go up into a hill, and then throw it into the air. And the wind would blow away the chaff, the unwanted stuff, and all the grain would fall to the ground. That's what winnowing barley was. They had to go up to a hill to do that. She'd say, hey, they're going to winnow barley tonight. And she's like, take a shower, right? You stink, right? Take a shower, anoint yourself, right? Which is Bible word for uh, put on perfume, right? Put on your cloak, 
Make yourself look nice. Ruth, this is really important. Go and hide and wait until he has finished eating and drinking. Why? I literally read this in a commentary. It's cause this, it says, because Naomi knew that men are happier after they eat and they have a drink. And she's like, this is really important, right? Just wait till he's happy. Don't, don't go to him when he's sweaty and tired. Wait till he's eaten and, and he's had a drink. Trust me, I know. And then, and, and then go to where he's sleeping. Make sure you remember where he's lying. You don't want to do this to any random dude, right? And uncover his feet and lie down. In other words, make yourself known to him and, and wait and see what he does. Naomi, who had no good plan and no idea what to do in chapter 2, has a completely different energy now. I hope you see that. She wants to see this hope come to fruition now. She believes God can and God will do amazing things in her life, so she begins to act with confidence. I remember back at New Life, uh, we used to have this ministry. We'd go out to the city and evangelize to strangers on the streets. And look, honestly, if you're a Christian, who doesn't believe in evangelism, right? Like if I ask anyone here if you're a Christian, you know, oh, you know, everyone will say they believe in evangelism. But the reality is if you put on the spot to talk to a stranger in the streets, uh, it's the most scary thing to do. And I, I really struggle with it. Um, but do you know what changed my attitude? Uh, watching God work. Watching God work. I saw brothers and sisters doing it. And seeing how God works in and through them, sometimes in small ways, sometimes in quite miraculous ways, it has helped me to believe that not only was evangelism good, but that God actually can and does work in amazing ways. Brothers and sisters, do you believe that God works? Uh, not just that God is God, but that He actually works in your life that he is working in your life right now, that he can transform the lives of those around you, through you, as you take an opportunity to preach the gospel, or you can help and save those around you through a prayer that you pray for them. Do you believe that God is actually powerful? He is capable of incredible things in your life. Do you believe and do you have faith in God? Because the more I reflect on it, uh, I can't help but see that oftentimes I choose not to act, not to read, not to preach, not to pray, not to share, not to reach out for a bunch of reasons. You know, we're full of excuses, right? But at the core of it, because I don't actually believe it's working. That I don't actually believe that God works through me and God works through my prayers and God works through His Word. And in the gospel, by spirit. Would you agree? Because if we actually believed, then our actions would look so different. Wouldn't it? I think it would. Our faith would look so much more confident and filled with conviction. A commentator writes, when properly understood, a belief in God's sovereignty does not lead to passivity. Rather, it provides hope and confidence to move and continue. I think it's so true. Or as James says in James chapter 2, verse 18, 
you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. I'll show you what I believe by how I live my life. Friends, when you look at your life, do you see a Christian who is like Naomi in chapter 2? Beat down, defeated, inactive, unexcited about the things that God has planned in your life? Or do you see a Christian like Naomi in chapter 3, filled with hope, excitement, and passion about the things that God will do in my life, in your life? Proactively going out to see these things come to fruition. If you find yourself in chapter 2, and I'm sure many of us are, then perhaps what you need is what Naomi found. Uh, a fresh reminder that God actually works. That he can do amazing things. So that your heart would start believing again. And of course, this is something that we should and we will pray for together. But practically speaking... I think one of the best ways for this to happen in our hearts is to hear and share in the stories and testimonies of one another. I think this is why testimonies are so, so powerful and they're so moving. Because in and through the lives and stories of other people, we are reminded that we have a God that actually works. Oh yeah, God actually can do that. He actually works. And that's my God. There is an inspiring kind of factor that we can find in those conversations. When was the last time you asked someone in your life or in this church, what is God doing in your life? What is he teaching you in your life? When was the last time you shared something incredible that God has done or is doing in your life that, you, that fueled the faith of somebody around you? When was the last time you went out and heard a story from somebody that fueled your faith and conviction and motivation? I'll be honest. For me, I've been so caught up in life, you know, doing church things, working, family, having a kid. Again, excuse after excuse after excuse. We have so many of them that I haven't really done this. But perhaps the issue is not necessarily with my time, but with my belief in the power of this. Friends, sometimes we do not act, we do not pray, we do not sing, we do not evangelize, simply because even though in our heads we know it's the right thing, uh, we do not truly believe in our hearts that God works. And if that is you, you need to see and remember that, that God works. He's worked in your life too. Think about the testimonies of your own life. But hear the stories of those around you so that your heart would believe and therefore your hands would act in a way that honors and pleases the Lord. And I hope and pray that Kingsway would become a place where we ignite and encourage the faith of one another because we're constantly celebrating and testifying together to one another of what God is doing in our lives. Honestly speaking, not sure if it's happening right now. 
And if we do this, then I believe that we'll see a bunch of chapter three Naomi's all around here, taking initiative and passionately working to see God's promises come to fruition here. We come up here and we say, you know, the vision statement of this church is to see the gospel transform our generation and beyond. What's, tra- what's not transform? Revive our generation and beyond. My bad, I haven't said it in a while. What are we doing to, to see that happen? Apart from just saying it. Imagine a bunch of chapter three Naomi's devising plans here and there to see this vision come to fruition. It'd be beautiful. And if we work like this and, and do church like this, I believe God will pour out his kindness all the more to our community, just as we saw in chapter two. When we do what we can, God rewards us with his kindness. So share, talk, run together as we endeavor to, to walk with God uh, together this year. Amen? Let's get back to our story. So Naomi devises this great plan and, and Ruth responds in verse five. And she says, all that you say, I will do. Of course, just as Ruth has shown time and time again, she's faithful. She's just, a, she's just a great person, right? So she does what she is told. Verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went down to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. And I hope you can feel the nervousness and the anxious anticipation here in this scene. Uh, Ruth is doing what she's been told to do, but she has no idea what's going to happen. Verse 8. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. I feel the surprise and the, and the awkwardness in the air. Verse 9, he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are our redeemer. And here's my second point for today. Sometimes God will work through those around us to bring blessing into our lives. Sometimes God will work through those around us to bring blessing into our lives. The reality here is that even though Naomi showed all this initiative and Ruth Should all this faithfulness, Boaz still had a part to play as well. And we as the audience, just like Ruth and Naomi, have no idea how Boaz is going to respond. He could reject her. He could find all this very inappropriate and uncomfortable. He could scream, right, and wake everybody up and expose this Moabite woman laying at the feet of an Israelite man. We just don't know. So in some ways, uh, not only are Ruth and Naomi placing their faith in God as they put this plan to action, but they're putting their trust in Boaz, the man. When Ruth says here, spread your wings over your servant, this is reminding us as the readers, but also this is reminding Boaz of what what he said in chapter 2, verse 12. This is what Boaz said. The Lord repay you for what you have done. He's saying this to Ruth. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. In other words, well done for choosing God and staying faithful to God. I I hope and pray he rewards you. And Ruth says, remember that? Remember what you said back then? I believe God is spreading his wings over me right now through you. 
And as she reveals, for you are a redeemer, she's making herself very, very vulnerable. And she is pretty much saying, will you redeem me? Will you marry me? All right? I need your help. I need you to be God's blessing in my life. The phrase that keeps coming to my mind here is channel of blessing. A channel of blessing. Have you ever had someone in your life that was a channel of blessing to you? For me, I had many. Uh, God used my church community when I was younger to help me understand the grace of God and receive salvation in my life. God used older brothers to spark uh, my love for praise and worship and serving God in this way. God brought into my life friends that literally kept me afloat and alive during my first few years of ministry when I was super sad and just always like sad. God used people like Pastor Paul uh, to help me see that, you know, ministry is what I love doing and what I want to do. And in this way, sometimes in encouraging ways, sometimes in harsh ways, God has brought people that have played a part in my life that has led to many blessings that I can see now. I wonder if you've had the same experience. I'm sure you have. Maybe it was a growth group leader you had that was a huge blessing in your life. Maybe it was a workmate. Maybe it was uh, a fellow person in the church. Maybe it was a stranger. But also, I wonder if you know that perhaps you have been the channel of blessing in the life of those around you in ways that perhaps you intentionally planned, but also in ways that you didn't even know you were. Friends, it's a myth to think that the Christian faith and following God is just about me and God. If anyone says, I can do faith without church, or they can love God without community, they don't understand how God loves to work. Because not just in this book, but time and time again in the Bible, God loves to use people to be a channel of blessing in the lives of other people. And so knowing this about our God, as we, as we live out our, our faith as Christians, we need to trust that sometimes God will work through those around us to bring blessing into our lives and therefore embrace our community, embrace the people that he brings into our lives, make ourselves vulnerable that he might use those people to bring blessings into my life. This was certainly the case for Ruth and Boaz Ruth makes herself vulnerable as she approaches Boaz, and in the most beautiful way, Boaz responds, verse 11, and now my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. In other words, Ruth, don't worry. I got you. I would love to be that blessing in your life. Obviously, there's a, it's a lot more romantic than that. Uh, but more than the romance, and, and that's, that's what I didn't want to do is kind of focus on the romance here. More than the romance, I think there is a greater thing happening here, which is that God is using Boaz, and he has been using Boaz to unlock blessings in the life of Ruth and Naomi. And of course, if we read through chapter 4, Boaz indeed brings great blessings to the life of Ruth and Naomi, but we'll talk about that next week. Brothers and sisters, God loves to use people to be a channel of blessing in the lives of other people. And the point that I want to hopefully make here is how important the people around you right now are. I mean, maybe in this room, 
but just in your life, in your vicinity. I truly believe that God sends people into our lives that we need to be a blessing in our lives in ways we know and in ways we don't even expect. Maybe we just need them to say that, that kind of one line to us. Or maybe just kind of, I don't know, pat us on the back or, or pray for us or just be there. I don't know. There's so many ways that someone can be a blessing in our lives. But also, perhaps God will send people that need us to be, to be a blessing in their lives. But the point is, it is the people around you. It is so important. Because sometimes God uses those around us to bring blessings into our lives. And, and this is kind of, this is just the simple point. Let us not underestimate the power of, of community and those around us. And I've been preaching this all throughout Ruth, right? If we, sometimes we need to borrow the faith of those around us. Sometimes we need to share and hear in the testimonies of those around us. Brothers and sisters, community is important and it's powerful. Let us learn to embrace, welcome, and lean on one another as we, as we continue to run together. And so, uh, Ruth made herself vulnerable, as, and, and, and Boaz has received her heart. And he's decided to be that blessing in her life. Uh, but there's a problem. Verse 12. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. This is funny. Um, it means Boaz has been thinking about it, right? You know, he's, like, he's, done, he's done some research. He's like thought about it. Anyways, now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. So remember how I said that there are customs that the Israelites have to follow? Uh, for widows, it was that they could only remarry someone in the family, like someone who's a relative. And I guess the priority of someone who could take the woman in marriage fell on whoever was closer in relation. I guess that's how it worked. And so Boaz reveals here, I would love to be a blessing in your life. I would love to redeem you. But there's actually another man who has the right to marry you before me, which is really annoying. But then he makes a promise, verse 13. Remain here tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Now, this, this promise will make a lot more sense when we read chapter 4. I know what it sounds like. It sounds like, Oh, if, if he wants you, he can have you. If he doesn't want you, I'll take you. That's what it sounds like. And this will make more sense when we read chapter 4 because what we see next chapter is Boaz pretty much like twists the guy's arm to give up Ruth for him. We'll talk about that next week. It's pretty romantic. But, but here we see, what we see here is actually quite an incredible promise. Uh, and this is the, the focus for this chapter. He says, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. As the Lord lives, I will redeem you. At the beginning of this chapter, Ruth and Naomi had hope because they had found Boaz. They had met Boaz, which is great. But here now, at the end of this chapter, they have even more than that. They have a promise. And to mark that promise, next morning, Boaz tells Ruth, you know, hold out your jacket. Verse 15, he says, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. 
And when Ruth arrives home, her mother-in-law is like, what happened? Verse 16, then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. The barley was a symbol of Boaz's promise that Boaz would not leave Ruth and Naomi empty-handed again. Remember, they needed food, they needed family. And here again, they receive food, but behind it really is a promise of family. And again, although this is the kindness of Boaz, Naomi knows that this is the commitment of God showing itself as a blessing through Boaz in her life. And so she says in verse 18, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Naomi is confident that this promise will be fulfilled. Why? Yes, because Boaz is a good guy. But really, because behind it all, she trusts that God is faithful. And here is my final, third and final point. We can always find rest in the promises of God. We can always find rest in the promises of God. And this is really the, the message of this chapter. Ruth left the house without, with hope, but she came back with a promise. Naomi started this chapter by desiring rest for Ruth. But Naomi ends in this chapter trusting that rest will come for Ruth in this promise. Friends, I said in chapter 1 that God never leaves us without hope, and this is true. But hope in what? Where can that hope be found? And what can this hope be constantly rooted in? When life doesn't go the way we want it to, when suffering comes our way, and we don't feel like worshiping and following the Lord, where can that hope be found and be rooted in? And here's the answer, in the promise that God makes to us through his son Jesus, that no matter what, I will redeem you. Just as Naomi desired for Ruth, I believe God desires for us uh, to have deep eternal rest, deep eternal rest. And that is why just as God sent Boaz to make that promise to Ruth and Naomi and be that hope, we know that God sent us, Jesus, his son, to be that promise and be that hope for us. As Jesus says in Matthew 11, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. And though Boaz sent barley as a symbol of his commitment, I believe if anything embodies the commitment that God has for us and the eternal joy and rest that he has for us and wants for us, I think nothing is a better image than uh, the picture of God hanging his own son on the cross to bleed and to die for us. And that is how committed he is to us and to our rest. Brothers and sisters, we, have, we truly have a God who is, is committed to us. I hope that's what we can take away from this. Everything else is just kind of fun. We're trying to go through the story and have some fun and, 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 and read the story together. But at the end of the day, like I said at the beginning, I hope what we can see is that we have a God who is committed to his people, who is committed to Ruth and Naomi, who is committed to their rest, who is committed to our rest and our joy. And this is not just a hope, like an like a empty hope that we're meant to hold on to and kind of wait for. But in the gospel, you and I, today we have a promise that we get to cling to. Knowing that though our lives will often have seasons like chapter one, 
there will be an end to the story where God's promise will be fulfilled and our joy and our rest is made complete. And I hope that even the thought of that would grant your soul some rest today. Are you struggling? Do you feel lost? Do you not know where to go and how to feel? Look to the promise of God in Jesus Christ, the gospel. Find hope, find rest, find joy, find reason there to worship today, I pray. Amen? And we'll finish off uh, this story next week. Why don't we pray together? Just quietly, maybe in this time, why don't we spend some time reflecting on that gospel promise we have in the Lord and just simply ask Him uh, to remind us of the power and the beauty of this promise and to revive in our hearts passion and joy to allow us to feel comfort and rest in that, even in the thought of that promise today. Let's also pray that God will send people into my life that will run with me to remind me of this promise again and again. Perhaps people that I'm meant to remind of this promise again and again. And let's pray that together we would believe that we have a God that works, that we would live out our lives passionately in a way that pleases Him. Why don't we do some business with God, just quietly in our hearts, and then we'll sing a song together. Let's pray.